Hi everyone, it's Adam from Monkey Tennis here. Just saying a huge thank you to all of you that have supported my charity appeal uh, so far. For those that haven't heard about it, this September I'm going to be swimming uh, 15 kilometres uh, between five islands in Cornwall. Uh, I'll be swimming the Isles of Scilly. That's Scilly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. Um, I'm doing it because I want to, but also to raise money for Calm, the campaign against living miserably. It's a well-known statistic that 125 people in the UK die by suicide every week, and Calm run a free and confidential helpline for people to speak through their problems and ultimately to help prevent suicides. Um, I'm looking to raise enough money to train two new phone workers um, to man those lines um, and I'll be doing it by swimming the Isles of Scilly in Cornwall. Um, if you're looking to support me, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, you can donate at justgiving.com. Um, just go there and search for Adam Swim Silly. That's Adam Swim Silly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. All donations greatly appreciated. Thank you for helping me to support Calm. And now, on with monkey tennis. Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well-lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, Nick. Are you bored of drinking big fat shots of Director's Bitter and Ladyboy Chasers at home? Tom, I ruddy bloody am. I'm hopping mad and just want some exciting craft beers to enjoy when I'm watching my Bond videos. That's not too much to ask, is it? Well, have I got some good news for you. The fantastic chaps at Beer52 have given us a special offer they'd like us to share with our listeners. Can I just shock you? I, I like special offers. Do, do tell me more. All you need to do is go to beer52.com forward slash monkey tennis, cover the postage cost of £5.95, and you'll be sent a box of eight cracking craft beers, plus a magazine, and two beer-appropriate snacks. Wow, that is a real breath of fresh air. So you're telling me to get a free case of eight unique craft beers from Beer52, I just need to go to beer52.com forward slash monkey tennis and cover the postage costs of 5 95 Yep, it's literally that simple. It really is lovely stuff. Oh, sometimes you want to say, soddle this wine, just give me eight craft beers. And I've really got to say this, Nick, Beer52 is the world's largest beer club. Mm. Yep, each month members are sent a case with a different theme. Past themes have included Belgium, Korea, California, New Zealand and many more. But what if I don't like dark beers? Ah, they've got that covered too. If you don't like dark beer, you can choose the light beer option. And you can pause or cancel at any time. Simply go to beer52.com forward slash monkey tennis and just pay £5.95 postage to get all this now. Crash bang wallop, what an offer. Eight free beers, a magazine and two snacks for less than £6 postage. Mine's not a pint, mine's a box of eight craft beers. I'll drink to that. (laughs) 
Hello everyone, Nick from Monkey Tennis here, just here with a very quick introduction as we continue our series interviewing FOPs, that's fans of Partridge. And we have a really exciting episode for you this week with none other than Boyd Hilton. You may know Boyd as the entertainment director at Heat Magazine, but of course he also reviews TV and film on BBC Five Live, he contributes to Front Row, um, and he's also a contributor within the podcast community. He appears on the Pilot TV podcast and indeed has his own podcast on Arsenal Football Club, should you wish to check that out. With Boyd's unique insight from working in film and entertainment for so many years, it's fair to say he has a great amount of insight on Alan Partridge. This is a really exciting episode and we hope that you enjoy it. If you have, please feel free to contact us. Uh, you can email us at thepartridgepod at gmail.com. We are on Facebook, that's facebook.com forward slash thepartridgepod. Twitter, we are at thepartridgepod. Uh, Instagram, it's at monkeytennispod. And of course, Adam works day and night on the Monkey Tennis hotline there for your calls, questions or concerns. That's on 07923 600 017. And of course, if you've enjoyed the episode, why not head over to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com forward slash monkey tennis and shout us the cost of a coffee. But without further ado, I will hand over to the chaps with this episode with Boyd Hilton. Enjoy. I am hopping mad and I want something in the middle. Aha! Yup, absolutely. Yup, 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 absolutely. Monkey tennis. Bring, bring. There's a new chat in town. I had the last laugh. Dan! Monkey tennis. Little pierce my foot on his thigh. With a chuckle, with a chuckle. Oh. Monkey tennis. Radical. Awesome. Mega. Monkey tennis. Where's my assistant? I do not know. Okay. Monkey tennis. Edmonds is a total wazzard of a guy. Yes, 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 and yes. It's hotter than the sun. I said, who the hell is that? This is great banter. Yeah. Back of the net. Monkey tennis. The people who enjoy Alan Partridge will enjoy this podcast. The people who've never got it still won't get it. So hello everyone, it's Adam from Monkey Tennis here um, with Tom Stab, and this week we're joined by a man who has pop culture, TV analysis and podcasting at his very core. Uh, it's possibly one of the few people that would give us a run for our money as a partridge aficionado. Uh, as contributing editor of Empire Magazine, co-host of the Pilot TV podcast and entertainment director of Heat Magazine, he's not only got a bird's eye view of the TV comedy landscape, but he's also had many a peek behind the curtain of Partridge, be it interviewing Steve or visiting the set. Hello, welcome and aha, Mr Boyd Hilton. Uh, hello. Thanks, thanks, Adam, for that. Um, I would say un uncannily accurate introduction, <laughs> including all my titles. You got all my titles correct, which very rarely happens. Only, only uh, in Game of Thrones would you have more titles than you've yeah, got in exactly, real life. Exactly. Yeah, you gotta <laughs> um, have lots of titles in this day and age. Exactly. Everyone's everyone's wearing many hats, spinning many plates. Um, so let's start at the beginning. Um, obviously, you're you're a notable Alan fan like ourselves. When did you first encounter him? What are your earliest memories of him? I presume, I mean, as he's been a character for 30 years now, he, we're talking you were probably a fan before you were writing about Alan. Is that fair to say? Well, almost, yeah. I mean, I am very old, so I, I think I'm considerably older than you two. Um, and um, my, 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 my first ever job when I left university was writing TV listings, TV and radio listings for newspapers and magazines for a company called Listings Limited. And believe it or not, I very clearly remember being sent a press release um, and the information about on the hour when it arrived on Radio 4 because we used to do radio listings as, as, as much as anything. So I'd just have to write little 30-word blurbs on radio shows, particularly 
you know, the very few, there's always like, there are one or two new comedies, you know, every, every few weeks on Radio 4. So inevitably, um, you'd pick those out. And so I, I remember quite clearly tuning into the first episode of On The Hour because it, it was, you know, BBC trumpeted it as these hot young comedy talents. Um, and I don't, I, to, if I'm really honest, I don't remember Alan Partridge, the character of Alan Partridge making a big impact, but I must have heard it because I very clearly remember listening to that, as I say, to, 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 the, to the debut of On The Hour. But then I absolutely, by the time they turned it into the day-to-day, that was like a big deal. I remember that being a really big deal that the, the, you know, the radio show had become a cult, a bit of a cult phenomenon. Everyone thought it was pretty, pretty exciting. Everyone thought um, the character of Alan was, 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 I think, the standout funniest character. I mean, there are lots of funny moments, but as a, as a character in that, in that show. And then when he was going to arrive in the day-to-day uh, on BBC Two, I remember being a huge thing among kind of comedy nerds. And, you know, and, and, and again, writing for TV, from TV listings purposes, being very excited to to write about it, in, albeit in that limited capacity. And it did not, you know, the arrival of Alan on TV on the day, so did not let me down in any way whatsoever. So uh, just to, we know sort of anecdotally that the story sort of goes that Patrick Marber took Steve Coogan aside and said, this character right. is going to make you famous. This is going to be... Yeah. Did, did, did you get a sense of that from watching those programs that, that he was going to be the one, that Partridge was going to be the one that was going to stand out? Obviously, perhaps not to the level that he's gone on to be, but at least there was going to be something else that was just yeah. Alan from from that yeah. in, from those initial moments and shows. I think so, because as brilliant as, as everything about the day-to-day was brilliant, I mean, yeah, Chris Morris is, is, was a genius. It was clearly a genius back then, and, and he's mm. really funny in himself, but he did all the diff- he did lots of different personas and characters i guess the kind of the man in, the man presenting the day-to-day the kind of paxman-esque that paxman-esque character was was very very funny but then when he introduced alan partridge as this this um sports report sport, there was an instant he was instantly hysterically funny I, I remember and i think particularly you know at that point i think for any for teenagers for anyone going to school you know the way that back in the day when i used to kind of impersonate when I was growing up it would be Monty Python or 40 Towers mm. and you'd, you'd, you'd impersonate those characters in the playground everyone would do Basil 40 I think everyone was doing Alan Partridge very quickly I would say as soon as you saw him on the day-to-day because he was so funny that I did just the idea of a spoof sports reporter who had that voice that was a bit like David Coleman at the time I remember you know mm-hmm. that you'd compare him to all the different and the way he commentated I just remember it being hysterically funny because the, because the day-to-day was often you know had subtle moments and satirical elements of course but for, in terms of flat-out hilariously funny stuff it was the Alan Partridge segments that were that stood out and I think everyone thought they not just me but I, I thought they were hysterically funny from the start and I guess as someone whose first job in "Quote unquote media was writing TV listings. I guess you must have been a big fan of the section in the prison episode in this time series two when Alan goes oh. on this sort of rant about the centralisation or mean, decentralisation Tom, of the TV listings. Tom, I could not have been happier. If you, <laughs> I went through. I went through seriously as as a TV listings um, aficionado and writer. I went through the whole period when people don't understand now, but Alan did. Alan understands." That at one point, <laughs> Radio and TV Times, Radio Times only covered BBC shows, TV Times only yeah. covered ITV shows and, and commercial TV, and no one could cover everything until there was a, a they had to pass a law saying that, deregulating it, <laughs> saying that everyone could publish all TV listings. And I remember that, that moment very clearly, because it was a huge, that was part of the reason why the company that I worked for took off, because they milked that. You know, mm-hmm. everyone had access, it was allowed free access yeah. to TV listings all of a sudden. 
And that was, so yeah, when Alan talked about explained it to the young prisoners, the young offenders, which by the way, I think that moment sums up anyway, like I picked already picked, uh, uh, the kind of ran, the brilliant randomness sometimes of Alan Partridge, particularly I think in the Gibbons brothers era, where they'll mm. find something that's so random and yet it works so beautifully on all kinds of levels, just him telling those guys about the TV listings thing and, and the TV times and the region variations. It was a, a, a glorious moment for me. Yeah. The thing I love, sorry, I'm just going to say, the, the thing I love as well about um, about On The Air and The Day Today is it feels a little bit to me like kind of Steve almost climbing out of um, the kind of, the foundations of, of impressionism, of impression, doing impressions, because that was obviously a large part of his career to that point. And like you say, people recognise the elements of kind of, of Motson and other commentators in it. But it also feels like it, it was adding a dimension on top of, you know, it wasn't a straight impersonation. It wasn't generic sports reporter. There was kind of a, a sense of personality to him. And it feels like as he's gone on, perhaps with the exception of the trip, I suppose, it's kind of been, it, it, it's sort of a journey away from impressions a little bit into this kind of more fully rounded comedy character. Yeah, completely. And I think I think um, it's amazing when you. I, I mean, I did. I have to say, you know, in in preparation for this podcast, I I looked at a few clips from the day to day, and it's incredible how fully formed the character is, even even in his very mm. first appearances. You know, because he's already and and, and he's already um, Chris Morris as the host of the day to day is already annoying Alan when he links to him. I don't know if you remember those bits, which reminded me very much of of, of this time when when Alan gets annoyed at his colleagues, you know, interrupting him or you know kind of not taking him seriously or having a go at him in the case of Lolly Adafopi's character, uh, Ruth Duggan. There's a bit of Ruth Duggan and Alan in the Chris Morris's character and Alan in the very first appearance of Alan on the, on, on the day-to-day for me. And it's like he gets irritated by everything. So even though he's trying to be um, David Coleman or John Motson, as you say, and he's, he's glib, ridiculous um, commentaries over the, over the football footage and the racing footage and all mm. of that is, is hysterically funny, the little details of his character being immensely easily irritated by anyone contradicting him or mildly taking the piss or just not, you know, anything, anything difficult he has to deal with is there from that very first incarnation, well, very first TV incarnation at least, on um, on the day-to-day. So I think it's really interesting how, what a fascinating character he already was at that point. Yeah, it, a- absolutely. And I think there's so many brilliant moments in the genesis of that character that obviously go on to inform what he becomes and, you know, just talking about sort of, you know, it'd be interesting to hear about your sort of favourite Alan, uh, almost your favourite Alan era or your favourite Alan series um, or, or moments, because it's interesting for us talking to um, to, to various people. Um, we spoke to a, 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 a young comedian, younger than, than even myself and Adam, um, Josh Berry, and talking to him mm. for this series about his favourite moments. And so because he's a bit younger, his sort of touch points and favourite parts of Alan were the Gibbons era, you know, um, uh, uh, Scissor Dial is his favourite partridge, I guess, uh, incarnation or episode or whatever you want to call it, era. Um, so it'd be interesting for someone who's come, been there since right from the very beginning. Is is your favourite era, those early years, or do you appreciate the Gibbons era more, more than, 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 than the previous era uh, iterations of Alan? I love the Gibbons era, yeah, I do. I think I think he's got better and better. I just, I, I, I'm one of those people who... Um, I think as time's gone on, and as when when the Gibbons arrived, I mean, I thought I thought um, uh, Mid Morning Matters was the the first was Mid Morning Matters. And I remember again the Fosters, the whole Fosters, yep. you know, yep. onlineness of it, and the kind of um, soft launch element of that. I could not believe. I mean, I've been waiting desperately for New Alan 
you know, by that point for quite some time. And I was aware of, of, of Steve's mixed feelings about the character and, you know, the, when he, you know, when he famously described the tour as other characters, less successful characters, blah, blah, blah. All yeah, of that, all yeah. of his, all of his issues with, at that time, which he's talked about him many times in many interviews, um, uh, resonated. And so when, when Alan was arriving with an, in a new form, but, but very, very hardcore Alan content in, in terms of um, mid-morning matters. It was Alan and, and the sidekick, um, sidekick Simon. And that was, and, and, and guests, of course. But it was the, you know, 15-minute segments, 12, 15-minute segments, wherever they were, of pure Alan was such a joy. So I was very much on board from, from the word go of, of the Gibbons era. And then I think they've just got better and better as it's gone on. So I think, I, I, and the Scissor Isle is very dear to me, partly because I hosted the, the, the um, press screening for it. So, mm. um, I, and, so I hosted the Q&A and I was there. For that particular one, um, Steve introduced it as Alan Partridge at BAFTA. Oh, amazing. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I was with him, watching <laughs> him get done up as Alan, first of all. Yeah. Um, with the makeup and wig and everything, preparing how watching him, you know, preparing to be Alan, uh, th- to introduce it as Alan and what he was going to say, etc., and then had the joy afterwards of interviewing him as himself and the Gibbons brothers together after the screening um, to this audience, to the BAFTA audience. So, and then the fact that the, the actual show itself was fucking brilliant, yeah. I think, and it still is. I, I would agree as being one of the very, very best Alan um, TV episodes or whatever specials. It- was there a moment when you were seeing him getting ready where it, it switched, where you could see, um, he, or was it a gradual thing, or was it literally like literally just before he walked out on stage? I I'm think Alan. It, was, like, it was when he was all when it was all done, when he was in costume, in full makeup and hair, and yeah, um, yeah he was Alan at that point. Is, is I remember, <laughs> and, and just I mean, it was pretty. Cl- to be honest, I remember it, it was cutting it quite fine. In my memory is that, and we're in the in the green room after. He was chatting away, being very, very nice, talking about, you know, this, that and the other. And then once he was fully made up and ready and in costume, mm. slapped into Alan. And then we just walked down to the stage and he climbed on stage and, 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 and was Alan um, brilliantly. And of course... Was anything scripted or was it... Uh, yeah, he did. Of... He had a little piece of... I remember he had a little... He had what he wanted to say on a little... Literally on a scrap of paper. Right. Um, right. So it was... I mean, it wasn't... It was literally about a two minute intro, you know. But it okay. was a thrill. But it wasn't... I would say it was a surprise because I don't think... I think the plan was, you know screening and then I interview them you know Steve and the Grimms brothers and talk about the process of making the show so it was a real surprise I think for the audience that they were going to get a glimpse of Alan you know in real you know in that live Alan if you like so even though it was a little two minute moment you know it was still fantastic um yeah can you remember the first time you you met Steve or spoke to him about uh, Alan or was there you know did you, was it you were actually talking to him about something else like another one of his projects or can you remember the, yeah or, or even the first time you, you I remember um, I remember the first yeah, time you, I met him, to him. Um, which is this, this is an incredibly wanky name droppy story I was in New York with Carolina Hearn in the early two thousands already great yeah um, so I've become <laughs> quite good friends with Carolina Hearn just because from interviewing her, um, one of my very first assignments at Heat in 1999 was interviewing Carolina Hearn. And we, we kind of championed the royal family through, through its, you know, when it started and carried on for its first few seasons. And, and I became quite friendly with her. And we went to New York together, literally. Um, she, she, uh, she was making friends out there. I was making friends out there, mutual friends. We went, we went on the flight together I'm never from, from Heathrow. And um, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I was in New York with Carolina Hearn. And... Um, we ended up at Soho House, New York, 
and Steve Coogan was there. And um, at this point, so basically, all, you know, they, they are Manchester comedy royalty, right? Sure. Two geniuses. I think it's not, not to put too fine a point on it. Probably the two geniuses, I would say, of not mm-hmm. only Manchester comedy, but British com- TV comedy of the last 30 years. I'm saying that. So I happened mm-hmm. to, so I was, I was kind of, and, and Steve's like, we're just wandering around. Steve's like, oh, Caroline comes over and says hello. And then we spent the rest of the evening pretty much with her, with him. Um, like in the pool room. I remember being in the pool room with him and her making fun of him and kind of making fun of Alan Partridge and him being a bit Alan Partridge-y and, you know, <laughs> kind of talking and them talking about each other's characters and comedy. Because I don't think they'd seen each other for a while. Like, they, you know, they worked, you know, they knew each other very, very well, mm. as I'm mm. sure you know, you know, in the, in the early days, in the early days of, their, of each of each other's careers. They, they, they were all very tight, you know, that, that, that group, John Thompson... Caroline, mm-hmm. Steve, they're all, they're all very friendly. But I don't think by the time, I would say it was 2001 or 2002, um, and I don't think they'd seen much of each other. They haven't fallen out or anything. They're just, you know, they're busy people creating their own brilliant shows. So I, I kind of was like witness to them hanging out together and him being really funny about her and her being really funny about him. And, um, and that was that. So I met him then. And then a couple of years later, I would say... Um, I got to interview him for Heat for probably, um, well, I can't even remember what, what project it was. It wasn't an Alan Partridge thing, it was something else. So, and then from then on, I probably interviewed him, you know, fairly regularly. Mm. And then I got to, I think because I hosted the, the trip Q&A, the very first series of the trip, and I've hosted every trip Q&A, every press launch of the trip, all four series I've hosted each Q&A every single time. In fact, sometimes more than one. I did about three or four for um, the third series, I think. And... Um, and then, and then I was asked to do the Scissor Isle, which was the first Alan Partridge um, thing I hosted. Um, but then I did do another one with him. I can't remember what was the second Alan Partridge thing. I can't even remember now. But anyway, so I, so yeah. But so I met him, uh, you know, socially first, and then I think he, you know, recognised me and trusted me after that, and didn't mind me. And then I ended up working with him and hosting these things with him quite fairly often. Um, which was a particular joy, yeah. And oh, I was on Newsnight with him in two, in 2011. <laughs> this is amazing, right? This is my other incredible. So in 2011, when the news before the news of the world closed during that whole period of um, scrutiny of newspapers and the press and all of that, um, I, yeah, he was on Newsnight with that horrendous news of the world guy whose name I've forgotten, Paul something or other. It's, it's on it's on um, YouTube. The guy who always had his tie—he he always had his tie yeah. top button undone, yeah. and yeah. Like his, his tie was always exactly. sort of skin whiff and yeah. Yeah, really bad suit. He was yeah. the worst. He was the world's worst cliche of a of a tabloid <laughs> um, journalist. Yeah, and Steve was on Newsnight with him, and um, I remember someone from Mumsnet, and you know, just talking about the whole um, the whole issue of press, newspaper, and magazine showbiz journalism and intrusion, press intrusion. And there was two segments, and the first segment was him and this guy. And the second segment was me and, and Steve and I think the mum's that woman and someone else. And I, and I was terrified because I thought even though I, he'd met, I met him a couple of times, I didn't know him that well. And um, I was like, is he going to slag me off for being part? Because I write for a re- weekly celebrity gossip magazine. You know, it's, he, is, he has been from the start, you know, a magazine that has celebrity gossip as its selling point, if you like. But I've always been in charge of the TV and entertainment coverage, you know. So, you know... I, 
there's always been that um, those two elements to the magazine. And I part of me thought, oh, is Steve going to bring up? Is he going to be annoyed about something that he has ever done? You know, but he was actually completely fair and lovely about he and me. And he was like, no, what you do is different. He, he liked, I think he. I, I've never. I haven't watched it back. I can't bear watching myself. But I'm pretty sure he's like. What you do is fine. You know, you're the acceptable face of of showbiz journalism. But what the news of the world doing, ruining people's lives, is not acceptable. And so, yeah, I had that weird experience of being on Newsnight with him. Um, and then my uh, subsequent to that, my appearances with him were professional, where I was interviewing him, or hosting Q and As, etc. In terms of, of covering Partridge for for Heat of Empire and for Elsewhere, how has having that inside track changed the way that you view the outfit? Does it make it harder to enjoy it on its own merits? Or do you, through the process of interviewing Steve or, or visiting set or so on, kind of find out things about the making of the programme that, that kind of either enhance or detract from your enjoyment of it? I mean, it never I, it never detracts from my enjoyment of it, ever. It only ever enhances it. I, I went to, So I visited the set of Series 1 of this time and it was the episode where um, Simon Farnaby appears for the first time as um, that character, Sam, Sam Chatwin. Sam yep. Chatwin. Son of, son of the head of factual programming. And I watched, so I watched that <laughs> scene, right? I, I got watched that scene, son of, the, son of the head of factual programming scene. And then do you remember the bit where Steve reels off the list of local radio stations? Because he's trying yeah, to explain, yeah. he's yeah, trying yeah. to explain what, what um, uh, North Norfolk Digital is. And so I got to see him... And that went on for a long time, like loads of different variations on those names, right? That coming up with funnier and funnier. Him and the Gibbons brothers literally standing there trying to come up with funnier and funnier names on this long list of local radio or digital radio stations, which <laughs> are hysterically funny. And, um, and also just interaction with Simon Farnaby's character. I didn't, they didn't really explain, like it was, you could just, I just, all I, all I could do was just watch it play out in front of me. But Simon Farnaby is brilliant. I love Simon Farnaby anyway. Mm, and that mm. character was so funny, his pomposity. And I love it when Alan gets one up on someone. So Alan constantly repeating the fact that he's the son of the head of factual programming. Was, that was hysterical. I thought that was so, I was instantly, I was always like, you know, 10 minutes into arriving on the set. He was, I was like, this is brilliant. You know, this is already his, and I didn't really, they didn't really explain. They didn't really have time to explain. At that point, no one really knew what this time was going to be like. We didn't, we had no idea really. All we knew is it was a new, it was a new show with Steve. And, you know, it was kind of something to do with a one show type show, but we didn't really know the format that it was going to be in that format of actual, you know, actual, a verite version of that show playing out live in front of you, so to speak. So just to see that was very exciting and to see him, improvise and develop and eat every almost every single line as i'm sure the givens brothers would tell you they honed you know and mm. um and i remember but i remember the publicist saying i think i arrived at noon i remember the publicist saying to me don't get there there's no point getting there before noon because they were changing the script for the first three hours of every day and they don't actually get started pretty much before noon i was thinking oh that's <laughs> unusual you know because most filming starts about 8 a.m um, and carries on till like 10 p.m. or whatever. But it was true. And they were still, they were still honing it all the way through, you know, through filming, through they'd have a break and they'd hone it again and they'd come up with new versions of lines. That was just fascinating and spectacular to see from my, you know, a huge privilege. So, and it doesn't, far from ruining it, I'm like, oh my, every time I, I watch the episode, I love that episode anyway. Um, you know the Simon, the first Simon Farnaby appearance because he, when he when he goes to the audience and, and Alan follows him and yep. mistimes yep. it, like I watched all that and it was like yeah. so great. So I just feel like incredibly honoured to have witnessed this TV comedy gold moment. Really, if there's if there, if there, if there's one through line from the the old school Partridge to the new school Partridge, it's that 
lines and scenes get rewritten right up to the very, very last minute. Stories about Peter Bainham writing lines yeah. in the back of the car when Alan goes to well, when Alan takes Lynn to um, give the flowers to her um, to her on her mum's grave, and yeah, even sort of anecdotally about the Gibbons and, and how everything kind of goes down right to the wire and Monty Don even saying that everything was you know the painstaking detail when he was on it and re-recording and rewriting and refining and stuff like that it's just it, I find it so fascinating that even re- regardless of who is in charge so to speak of you know Partridge and obviously it's always Coogan but then also who he writes with on on Alan that seems to be a through line all the way through they they never just leave it they can always eke like I don't know two percent more laughs out of something and that would be worth it I just find that whole that whole process fascinating yeah I think the difference now though I think I would say the difference now uh, having having you know talked to him about that particularly is that I think he enjoys it a lot more now I think back in I think interesting I think back in the day I mean he's he's very I think he's very honest about how, and like the second series to give Iron Man and Parcher, I think was difficult. I don't know, you know, yeah, it, it, yeah. quite you know, where, and you know, where the changes and the arguments about every line were getting, I think were getting painful, you know, for, for, for everyone involved. Whereas now I think even though it is, you know, the Gibbons brothers are very, will be very funny about how much effort it takes to get everything right and how, how much they are honing it and changing it. They're still clearly enjoying that process, I think, very much. Mm. It's like a, they're making each other laugh. You know, it's like, I feel like the difference between then and now is that, I mean, I wasn't there then. This is purely on, you know, from what, but I think partly what Steve said about that time is that I, I feel like it was hard work then, but not necessarily, but I'm not sure if they, in, I'm not sure if he enjoyed it all the time. Whereas now I think he loves the process. He loves how hard work it is. And, it, and, He's enjoying and he's laughing, literally, visibly, palpably laughing at when they get it right, when they get the best version of each line and each little bit. You know, I, he, was, he was in hysterics at one point when I watched him filming that day. You know, I think mostly at what Simon Farnaby was doing, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and to see him, you know, with that kind of, So I think it's a light load now. I think, you know, I think it's a load, it's a burden, and it's difficult, and, it's, and they're perfecting it. But I feel like it's... And, I do, and, I, and, and back to your, your point about which era do you prefer... I genuinely feel that the reason why I feel, I, I mean, much as I love I'm in a Partridge, particularly Series 1, and that is a lot of people's peak Partridge, I do feel it has dated. And I think Steve thinks it's dated as well. Um, and I think he's much more, I think this era will date much less. And it's partly because of the form of these shows. I think for me, the thing about Iron Man and Partridge, there's always a slight little, um, even, even when it was actually watching it live, when it went out, and I know people get really annoyed about this, but there's there's the... There's the um, audience laughter. Now that is real laughter. People people get confused about um, laughter. Oh yes, yeah. I was in that audience. So right I, there you I, go. I can I can confirm. Right. but yeah. people get annoyed, don't they, about laughter tracks on sitcoms in in the post royal family office era, particularly when it was all trending to be you know to not have for it to be filmed single camera style. But I'm Alan Partridge is a traditional sitcom in many ways. I mean, it's, and and it was brilliant. But I feel the way because we'd already met Alan via the form of a spoof um, first radio show, then TV show, spoof, you know, topical TV show. And then we'd seen him in Knowing Me, Knowing You as a spoof um, TV chat show. Do you know what I mean? Those forms, the formats of all those shows are, are, are um, as much spot spoofing the form as they are incorporating the characters. They are kind of vehicles for the character. Do you know what I mean? So then you've got the sitcom, which is not, which is which is a which is you're, you're watching Alan. Do you know what I mean? Being filmed, um, it, it could have been a documentary, a spoof documentary, right? 
It could have been. And I think it might, and I mean, who am I? I'm like, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm telling, I'm telling them what they should have done by any means. <laughs> but I do feel, imagine if it had been an office style spoof documentary about Alan and what he was doing at that time. It would have, I think, dated slightly less than the format, particularly because we'd already met him through those yeah. direct methods. It felt a bit weird and slightly, and, and again, it does feel dated particularly compared to all the other, and, and I think it's really interesting that subsequent to that, in the Gibbon Zero, pretty much every single incarnation, apart from the film, apart from Alpha Papa, has been, you know, it's either a spoof North, North of digital, digital radio show, it's a spoof... Um, it's a spoof nightly magazine show, the one show, or it's a spoof documentary, is Scissor Dial. You know, they're all, they're all, they all have that realism about it. That it's much easier to be realistic within the confines of those formats. Whereas to have a sitcom where you're observing the character and you're creating scenes and it's not, and you're watching a sitcom with audience laughter particularly, I think it's much less easy to feel realistic. And it's the realism I feel that's lacking in that era and I feel now that's a constant element it's so believable and they I mean they're testing the limits all the time but I do feel that the given zero they've perfected different ways of making Alan seem absolutely authentic in the context they place him in if that's mm. if that makes sense um, I, I mean and to, to talk to that kind of evolution of Partridge he's obviously you know spanned media spanned channels spanned formats the amount of time and so on um has the evolution of Partridge meant that it's moved between your two jobs? Uh, you know, presumably at some point it's been a heat concern uh, and at some points it's been an Empire or a pilot TV concern. Is it kind of every project that comes along you have to sort of judge it on, you know, of, of the things that you're responsible for? Where does yeah. this Partridge project fall? Oh, I'm lucky enough in that um, I, you know, I, I will always cover everything he does in heat. I mean, that, you know, that's... So I, we did an interview with him um, in, the, in the... I think it was probably for the film, actually thinking about it. So we did a heat interview with him, which the Gibbons brothers, you know, that, I mean, I, it can't be giving away too many secrets to say, you know, you don't go and see Steve and interview him in character. You, you, you create that interview, if you like. It's, it's, it's a collaboration with Steve and the Gibbons brothers, but it was fucking brilliant. It was hysterically funny. And I came up with the questions, right? So I come up with the questions at that time about, and you had to kind of somehow pretend, it was quite a complicated process because the film, of course, isn't, um, a documentary style film at all it is you know so you had to kind of somehow because he was doing it in the interviewing the character um you had to somehow explain that this film what this film was and how it would fit into the into the alan potter's universe if you like and yet you're interviewing i'm interviewing him as alan and um they are all coming up with funny answers to my questions so it was quite a, it was a really interesting process that i remember so um, is it kind of to, it's sort of to what extent is he aware that there's a film about yeah, the siege exactly. or it was exactly. or was he just in the siege and the film is happening <laughs> yeah we, we we often struggle with what exists inside the partridge yeah. universe and, and, and in yeah. real life yeah you see i think that i asked them about the film when i interviewed them recently for empire and because I'm fascinated by the fact that they didn't choose to do it as a, as a, like a, as a, as a spoof documentary style thing. Mm. And um, I know how Steve compared it to Shackleton. He's like, it was the hardest thing, you know, getting that film in any way in right. I mean, they're, they're, they're very proud of it. And I really enjoy the film. But I do think it's, it's, it's the standout thing that it's not a, 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 a documentary style at all. And it is, you know, it, there are big moments in it, if you like, big kind of slapstick, big which I love all that, but it's definitely something, it definitely stands out as a bit of an anomaly. And, I, and it was hard for them. Again, it, that was really hard uh, for them to go through that process, I'm sure you know. Um, and I feel that was slightly less enjoyable for them than this stuff they do now. But um, 
in answer to your question, yeah, that was complicated. So doing an interview with him around all that was complicated, but it was brilliant. The results were fantastic. I wish I was trying to find it tonight, but some of the lines are just so, you know, I got like that interview. It was, it was like a 2000 word thing. And they'll come out with answers to my, you know, I'd ask him about like, you know, people famous people at the time, like the Beckhams or whatever, you know, heat, heat type celebrities. And he came up with hysterically funny answers. I will find it eventually. Um, because none of none of heat stuff, by the way, is on the internet, so I can't just you know Google it and it'll come ah, up. Yeah, we've never okay. put we've never ever put anything on the internet. People have to buy the fucking magazine, you know. <laughs> so, so in answer to your, again another long winded answer to the question, I've always covered everything he's ever done in heat since I've been there in the last 21, 22 years, and interviewed him intermittently in that time, um, including for the trip, but definitely for for the partridge things, and then B when I. I when I became contributing editor to Empire in the last couple of years, um, being able to interview him for them, them for Empire for this series of this time was an absolute, that was why one of my absolute greatest joys because I think they're all in, a, they're all in quite a fun mood when I, I caught them. They're in the edit. Um, mm. The interview had been put off a couple of times because they were really busy. And then suddenly, like, they had a free day. I had, I had quite a long time with them. I think originally it was like, you're supposed to have 45 minutes, and then it went well over, like, an hour, maybe an hour. And a, my memory is an hour and 15, an hour and a half, I don't know. It just went on and on. <laughs> and I remember Steve particularly was in very, very funny um, form. And like, he had this whole massive long rant about um, humour that punches down. And he was talking about Top Gear-style humour, calling everyone a cunt. And it's like, yeah, it was like, amazing. <laughs> like, when you, you know, when you're interviewing someone, and doing it by Zoom, via Zoom, by the way, and when you're interviewing some, someone and they're coming up with these, this gold that, you know, he's fucking slagging off people he hates and he's being very funny about the process and the gibbons and making marvel. It was like, you, you, know, you know you've got golden, you know, material. And I was like, pretty, like, you know, I was like, oh, this is incredible. So that was a great joy as well that I could do that for Empire. Super. Um, I mean, you'll know as well as we do from talking to Steve that his motivations for continuing Alan have, have changed dramatically. Um, I guess with Philomena as a bit of a, a bit of a, a watermark uh, moment. Do you think that's how affected how the characters developed? Um, do you think that perhaps had he felt under pressure to continue Alan rather than feeling a freedom to continue with Alan, the sort of content we'd be getting from them would be very different? Yeah, I mean, he calls him a Trojan horse, doesn't he? He often he talks yeah. about that. How, um, and I think that's absolutely true. That I feel like Alan has evolved really interestingly. I remember getting into an argument with a journalist on Twitter in the early days of um, the Gibbons era, where they they just literally decided that they weren't didn't think Alan was funny anymore, and you know they'd betrayed somehow betrayed what he stood for because and I think the argument was if I could I was trying to remember what this argument was, but it was a bit like Alan was quite ignorant in a way, and not only obviously. Yeah. Lacking the lacking self awareness thing is a, is a, is a, an element of every great comedy doofus character, you know, David Brent, Alan, etc. But there were there were moments where Alan was really did stuff that was really quite stupid, you know. I think in 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 the first golden period, if you like, golden era of Alan, um, which I don't, which he wouldn't do now. I think he's become I think he's become in his own weird way more and more kind of sophisticated. Uh, and both as a character and, and and actually Alan himself, and I think he's become more. And I think they're much, they're much more um, confident and and um, welcoming of him, being more smarter, you know, than than you think he is. And so, for example, like you know, in in um, in this time, you know, there are lots of moments where he he he, he um, undermines people cleverly. You know, he's the one who who does reveals the Me Too stuff in that in that episode that second episode of series one mm. it, all that that whole episode is like a triumph for Alan, isn't it you know like 
first of all, you know, they're, they're kind of taking the piss out of him for being a, re- a replacement for this iconic old TV guy. And then the guy, iconic TV guy turns out to be a dodgy se- sex molester or whatever. And Alan's the one who unveils and Alan's the one who deals with it best. And it's a complete, and that, so I think that stuff, I feel like, and, and yet it's still really, really funny, you know. So I think, I think they have, yeah, I think the way he's changed is fascinating. It definitely, it definitely feels like they're handing Alan some more wins and that we as an audience yeah. are much more willing for that to happen. Yeah. I mean, a, a point I've made before is that um, it feels like they're giving Alan a little a little essence of one of um, Coogan's other creations, which is Tommy Saxendale, who, like, the thing I used to love when I watched Saxendale was about that he would frequently, you know, be smarter than the other, than his sort of yeah. nemesis, that he would get these hilarious wins. And it feels like Alan's now being handed more of those. He's he's often not the worst person in a scene. Um, and I think he always used to be uh, in the sort of early yeah. days. So, yeah, I, it feels like we've all warmed towards him a little bit. Yeah, right, I agree. And I think, I think um, you know, when he has very those moments where he is the cleverest one, really, in, in the room, uh, are really, are really interesting. And then the way when it does go, inevitably does go wrong in some horrible way, they find a very clever ways of, you know, so I'm thinking of, I don't know, off the top of my head, the, the lips getting bigger because, you know, he's, he's sampled the oysters or whatever in that. Like, that's a hysterically funny visual gag that is, but that doesn't in any way undermine Alan's, you know, the fact that Alan is now a more, a, a smarter, cleverer guy in many ways, you know. Like, I, I, I think of, like, the real-life equivalents of him, like Richard Madeley, you know, for example, often gets, I do think, that, I do happen to think there's a fucking huge amount of Richard Madeley and Alan. And I'm not, and I, I don't think necessarily Stephen the Gibbons brothers are sitting there studying Madeley, and they're like, I just think he's fallen into the trap, you know. I know I, I, I love Richard Madeley, don't get me wrong, but watching him for you know three hours of Good Morning Britain for me is like a bit like a kind of sub partridge, you know, this time thing because he he does the same kinds of things that Alan does. He will go off on a riff, you know, those moments in this time where Alan goes on a little riff and you think, no, that would never happen in real life on live TV. Well, Richard Madeley's doing it on live TV <laughs> on ITV when he sits in on on Good Morning Britain every morning and. And, why I'm, and, why I'm, and so there are moments when Alan is, um, when Alan, when Alan who seems ridiculous, it doesn't seem too far-fetched ever now, I think, barely ever, you know, maybe. They're testing the boundaries all the time. But when he, when he does something ridiculous and when there's a visual gag that is ridiculous with his big lips, you kind of believe it could possibly happen. And when he's smarter than others and he, and he undermines other people and it works for him, that, that's Great. And then when he goes, when he loses it, as he did at the end of series two, you, you believe that because he's still someone who has anger issues and wants to get his own way and gets frustrated about pretty much everything that doesn't immediately fit his agenda and his idea of what is the way to behave or what is the way to be, which, you know, engages his career. So again, that's a long way answer to yes. <laughs> yes, he has really <laughs> developed as a character. I seem I seem to remember when we covered this time series one, when we were sort of going through the what how journalists were reviewing the show what one of the things that that stuck out was that it wasn't i mean this is i'm kind of paraphrasing but this this iteration of alan in this time is isn't very good because you have people like richard madeley so the impact of alan has become diminished because you have these people like richard madeley and you know i, I think the the point that was made was that you have at the time obviously completely different kind of person and different kind of agenda but trump like you have these these huge personalities and this cult of personality that kind of ends up diminishing the impact of alan and i think they completely missed the point mm. of what alan has become and, and the writing and, and and how clever it is but it's interesting that you do have people think that yeah you just have richard madeley and people like him who just as a result means that alan just isn't as funny anymore but 
I mean, it comes back to the point that you make about how he's evolved as a character. Yeah, I just think I think I think the mistake there is that you know um, it's a bit like saying back in when the day to day launched that well David Coleman and, and Tony Gubber and John Watson were yeah, funny. Yeah. Um, what's the point of having you know? Well, he's still he's still now got all these elements, you know, all these all the and he's still using. Steve and the Gibbons brothers are using Alan to make some points about the type of TV that we get now that is quite mm. basic, you know, kind of particularly, let's, let's, let's face it, not only the kind of daily um, Piers Morgan era of, you know, I, I mean, I asked him about how, I, I actually asked him in the, in the last time I interviewed them, how do you, how do you, what do you do with Alan in a, in a world where Piers Morgan walks off his own show because he yeah. can't take a minute of, criticism from the weatherman you know and they were like yeah well what you do is you just come up with funny situations for alan that are different to that but you know reflect on the reality that we're living in this world where people talk about woke and all of that mm -hmm. and you know they're very so i think i think it's like that's where the trojan Hall things come back in so i think they're exploring it, it's much richer now i think because we have so many more tv channels so many more we have access to all these people you know, we can read what Richard Madeley thinks in social media as well as what he's doing live on TV. And we can listen to all those, those different types of people that Alan is referring to or there are elements in Alan. But equally, there's loads of different things you can load up within an Alan, <laughs> within an Alan episode or an Alan scene that reflect on all those different things, like the way he deals with race and sexuality. And that's always been there. Again, going mm. way back right to the beginning. I remember how awkward he was with the, the woman taking her top off the racing, you know, the, the horse yeah. racing woman. And he's still awkward now with women who, who kind of are interested in him, you know, in some way, like in the most recent series of, you know, the awkward stuff about going to see him in his country retreat and all of that. So, but I think it feels more sophisticated, more multidimensional and more, there's just loads more that they can reflect upon that's all happening in the world right now. So I don't think, yeah, I think, I think, I think this era makes him much richer, you know, that we're living in, because there's much more to, for him to deal with, really. Do you think ultimately maybe it's because Alan and Steve are moving closer to being the same person? A little bit. <laughs> now they're, they're, they're similar bit. in age now. And like you say, yeah. you know, he's described him as yeah. using Alan as a Trojan horse. So maybe they're just becoming, you know, symbiotic. Yeah, <laughs> a little more bit. More so than they were. Oh, completely. And he's, he, he's, he admits that. He, not, you know, he, he recognises yeah. that. Yeah, 100%. I mean, there are, there are moments in, you know, there are definitely moments in this era where, you know, he'll talk about the Daily Mail or, I don't know, you know, Noel Edmonds. And I think, you know, there's definitely a bit. And, <laughs> and um, you know, when he, when he rants about something or other um, where there's, yeah, there's definitely a Steve more than, yeah. More, and it would be weird if there wasn't, wouldn't it? I mean, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, totally. I, def I definitely think there's, Steve definitely recognises there's a lot of elements of him in that, in that character. Ready to pop the question? The jewellers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. So I'm going to leave this, this this next question quite open and just just basically ask like which medium do you think Partridge suits best in your in your humble opinion where is he if you if he could only do one thing for the rest oh. of time which one do you think Oh god that's difficult Yeah it is I was purposefully leaving it yeah. quite open because <laughs> I love because I lo- you know I mean I love the, I love the audio books you know because back to what I was saying about Midbody Matters being very concentrated pure Allen I mean yeah. there's nothing more pure Allen than the audio books of you know, I I Alan and um, Nomad. Um, it's a stream of consciousness. It's a stream no of filter, consciousness, like... right? I mean, I've, <laughs> I must have listened to. I'm sure you. I must have listened to both of those like yeah. dozens of times. And through. Oast House as well. Oast House, which right, which which effectively is again absolutely pure unadulterated Alan for what seven and a half fucking hours. You know, amazing <laughs> stuff. Yeah. So on one level, the answer is that, but equally. I do love seeing him interact with Lynn, you know, and um, and Psychic Simon, and I think, you know, that Felicity Montague and Tim Key are fucking brilliant. They're yeah. so perfectly cast in those roles, and I would miss them, you know, if if you didn't get to. And just seeing him, oh, you know, I I think the honest answer, honest answer is, I I really love either Mid Morning Matters, Alan, or This Time, Alan. I think it would have to be one of those because I just Mid like this time. I I love listening to your, you know, your weekly dissections of them are brilliant. And and you're often you know you're quite rightly often critical of stuff you think doesn't work and doesn't, it's very, you know and you're very fair. But I have to say that I've watched them so many times every single every single episode of this time I've watched so many times now and they're and they're so densely layered with stuff. You know there are little sight gags you miss, there are expressions on Steve's face that you don't have time to notice when you're focusing on the bigger issues at hand. And so even the bits that I find initially when the first time you watch them to be not that funny, maybe, by the time I've watched them like six or seven times, I'm completely won over because like, you find the funniness in them, in even in the bits you don't think of that great initially, eventually. So for me, it's like, I would, I would really miss, you know, yes, watching Steve do Coogan with, the, with that group surrounding him, with Psychic Simon and Lynn in some way, shape or form. Um, yeah. So, t- so talking about um, uh, Lynn and, and, and Simon, they're obviously sort of supporting characters, but, you know, realistically still quite major characters within the APU. Um, over the years, are there any sort of more minor characters that you wish we'd seen more of, which had, ha- had a bit more screen time and been developed a little bit more or could have could have fit in further down the line in, in, in projects when Alan's come back? Oh, that's interesting. Um you know who I really love is um, is Dave Clifton, and I yeah. think I think um, I remember thinking when in, in, even in the I'm Alan Partridge era, I loved I would I, those are my some of my favourite moments of, of those when the radio show handovers <laughs> the handovers between <laughs> between um, Phil Cornwall and Steve as Dave Clifton and Alan are fucking brilliant, and um, then the the episode of Mid Morning Matters where Dave Clifton's on is one of my absolute favourite. Um, mm. sequences mm. where he t- talks about being rock bottom and the and the um the wanking off of the of the guys whatever it happens to you know. wanking off tramps, oh, off tramps. Yeah. the wanking off was, of the tramps and then the thing was plural of, wasn't it yeah yeah <laughs> and then the then the stuff about his son and the apple the orchard all that the whole that whole sequence is absolutely phenomenal for me i love and i think phil Cornwall is brilliant and i would have what i was thinking i remember thinking when i remember thinking what a brilliant character was they could have done a whole spin-off series about about you know him about um, mm. 
uh, Dave Clifton because he's so such a great character. A bit like you know, smashy and a bit smashy and nicey, but with a tragic, a very clear tragic undercurrent going on. You know, um, and I would honestly, I would love a Dave, a Dave Clifton spinoff, and I, and I really want Dave Clifton to appear on. Um, this time, if there's a, if they do a third series of this oh, time, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that would be a dream for me. So I'm a big fan of Dave Clifton. Um, Martin Brennan. I mean, Martin Brennan. The Martin Brennan sequence in it, it, I think is one of the is one of the best five minutes of TV comedy of all time. I, I absolutely think that. I think it's I think it's better than anything in um, in Alan, in I'm Alan Partridge series one or two. I think it's big I, talk. Yeah, I'm I'm saying it now. I watched that right. <laughs> I watched that sequence. That was the that was the sequence they played at the Edinburgh TV Festival in the year that this time was coming out and it was about a month before it aired and no one did, that was the first anyone had seen of the show. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it was a packed audience of hundreds of people and it fucking brought the house down and I was in such hysterics and I don't, I'm not, I don't laugh out loud that much at comedy. I, I, I'm tempted to be an inward, you know, consumer of comedy. Mm. Things don't even, you know, I absolutely love comedy but I generally, I'm definitely like giggling like, slight, lightly but I was in absolute hysterics. I nearly pissed myself and, you know, and that was it without even any context because they just kind of showed the clip of Alan in- introducing him as a lookalike and then, you know, they just showed the end of that episode. So we didn't really know, again, at that point, what the full format, I, I knew a bit more because I'd been t- been on the set, but it was a massive um, thing and I, that is hysterically funny, but this is a long-winded way of saying that I'd love to see Martin Brennan. I, I did think they'd bring Martin Brennan back in series two somehow. And they, they resisted. I think probably because sometimes giving audiences what they crave is not the best thing. You want to, you know. Oh, this is, yeah, that's something that the Gibbons have always yeah. said. If, 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 yeah. if a fan wants it, we probably won't do it. Right, exactly. Um, yeah. And and um, I, I seem to remember, I think we saw one of your tweets saying that there was a lookalike section in this time series when we were sort of doing our speculation episodes about what was coming that you tweeted this and 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 um and it was one of the funniest pieces of partridge yeah. ever so obviously yeah. we kind of like okay this you know we're we're in we're in safe hands here um is michael alive um i think so yeah i think he is yeah yeah you're saying you think so i think i think he's possibly got um you know like what's that amnesia i probably probably doesn't know it's he is who he is but i think he probably washed up somewhere ashore and you know, has living a different life uh, and with no concept of anything. Yeah, that's my guess. I'm st- I'm still in kind of uh, two minds whether I want him to come back. I kind of love the idea that we just never see him again. Mm. But then also mm. seeing him come back would be a wonderful moment. Like seeing Joe Beasley come back was, uh, you know, we talked about it in the pod how it was the perfect person to bring back, and it was pitched and played so beautifully and fantastically. I think we've mentioned There's- as well um, what uh, how great it would be to potentially have Alan front some kind of true crime podcast that is finding Michael. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, but doesn't he? But in in from the Oast House, he talks about turning into a true crime podcast, doesn't he? And then yeah, gives up, does, gives yeah. up halfway through <laughs> as a bad <laughs> job. I, I think not seeing him again I, 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 is the best. Is the best thing. Comedic, com- I th- comedically, yeah, I think it might be comedically might because be. that way you can have these little sly references to him, you know, as there are, mm. you know, and that speculation about the dude in. Um, in, in this time being somehow his brother or something like oh, that. Oh yeah, Ted. Ted. Ted from um, Sunderland. Ted from Sunderland, exactly. Um, I think that's much that, that much more fruitful from a comedy point of view than bringing him back from the dead. Whereas I think Cheeky Monkey and all of that worked brilliantly. That was a brilliant surprise, a lovely yeah. treat, but I think it totally worked. Um, and it's just a little, I think it'd have to be a bigger deal. It's a much bigger deal to bring someone back from possible death you know, mm-hmm. than, than just give Cheeky Monkey another go, you know, 20 years later. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, I think that I, I think it would be too big, really, in a way. 
mm-hmm. to bring him back. And they can have fun with it, can't they? Yeah. They can keep leaving these little breadcrumbs and having fun with it. And, exactly. And, and teasing us. And um, yeah, I'm sure they're having a good time doing that. Yeah, 100%. Um, so, I mean, it's obviously, a, it's a comedy proposition that's become such a big deal that they can bring back characters 20 years later and things like that. At the heart of it, why do you think Alan's been able to endure for 30 plus years? You know, we're talking about there's landmark anniversaries for, for, for on the hour and the day to day coming up. Mm. How, how has this happened? Because it feels like the only other characters that kind of stayed around even nearly as long did it through repetition, through catchphrases, through giving the audience what they want all the time. And it feels like Alan has trodden a very different path. Um, yeah, I think it works because, first of all, you know, TV presenters, right? TV, TV and radio, what a weird job that is. You know, I think it's what a, what a funny, it's an intrinsically quite a funny thing, particularly TV presenter, which is why I think the arrival of, of Alan Potter on, on the day to day was, was super impactful more than, more than the radio show, because being a TV presenter is funny. I think it's funny. Like I know quite a few TV presenters, like in terms of like friends of mine are TV presenters. And I always think it's odd to watch them kind of adopting that persona and that TV presenter type voice that Alan did right from the beginning. And then, you know, because you're not acting, you're not, you're not doing a character. You're not, um, and it's and particularly like a general all-round lions type chat show type one show type. It's just funny. They're all funny. Like watching, I you know, so it's quite funny. Richard Mayley, go back to Richard Mayley example. You know, Piers Morgan fucking being a complete twat on. You know, it's such a weird <laughs> thing to be because you have these moments where you're just, just communicating to the viewer, particularly live, right? You're communicating to the viewer, and you have to deal with all kinds of things that could go wrong, and you're just rambling half the time anyway to fill space again. Particularly Richard Mackley. Um and so I think so. I think that's partly why it works because it's such a malleable thing anyway to be to be a TV presenter, and they do go through that level particularly. You know that level of where where the the, the kind of um, the vicissitudes of your career, you know, can go from local radio, late night two AM local radio to primetime BBC One, and that, that that kind of thing does actually happen to defend you know the realism of it. I think that's what makes it such it work. Part, part, it's, that's what makes it so unique in a way. Because like, so David Brent, I did. I was on that show. You could, Gold did a show called "The Greatest TV Characters of All Time," and, and we had a big jury, and we all. And, I, and in the end, interestingly, David Brent and Alan Partridge joint were joint like fifth or sixth, I think, in in the top ten, mm. maybe even higher. I can't remember. But I wanted Alan to win, obviously. But um, what was I, first out of interest? Um, do you know what? I can't remember now. It's a very good question. Del Boy. Yeah. See, probably. I had I had yeah. thought Alan did win this. Oh, maybe this he won. This, this is all oh, with Sally win? Phillips. Sally yeah. Phillips was there too. Sally Phillips right? hosted it. Maybe he I, did win. Maybe you're I right. think he yeah. did come out on top in the yeah. end. God, it's such a blur because it went on literally for like seven hours. That was <laughs> um, anyway, my point is that so the fact that he's a spoof TV presenter really works from a longevity point of view because they do have longevity. So whereas David Brent, like David Brent, um, you, you know, uh, Ricky Gervais. I mean, he did do that revival film, but that's about as far as he could ever go because it just wouldn't really make sense to carry on observing this that character forevermore because he kind of he is what he is. And he, whereas Alan can evolve because those guys do evolve in real life and they do change and they do reflect what the the social um, social habits and attitudes of the time and all that. So, so I think that's one thing. And secondly, he's so funny, and it's Steve, and Steve is you know never forget Steve is a brilliant, brilliant comedy actor and performer and his timing in anything that he does is incredible i think coincidentally i watched um, steve today in a show called steven which is a which is a new three-part drama on itv about the steven lawrence case and, and coogan plays the policeman who eventually reopened the case 
and he's a bit of a hero. And it's, so it's a completely straight role. But Steve totally humanised him. He's totally three... And I, I was just a reminder, coincidentally, what a brilliant actor Steve is. So I think... And I think his timing in every single thing he does is perfect. And he's just funny. He's just intrinsically, for me, hilariously funny. So you've got this character who works in terms of longevity and in terms of dealing with what's going on every single year of the time. And he's hysterically funny at the same time. So, yeah, I think he is the funniest comedy character ever from that point of view. Entirely fair. Um, we talked a little bit about um, the, the sort of the converging of Steve and Alan and how sometimes uh, Steve uses Alan as, as a Trojan horse to say things that he wouldn't himself. Are there any of Alan's views or thoughts that you particularly relate to? Do you see any element of yourself in Alan? Because I do think a lot of our enjoyment of Alan comes from the fact that we see glimmers of ourselves in him sometimes as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I remember, so I remember, I mean, my favourite, probably my favourite, one of my favourite um, I'm Alan Partridge moments is the James Bond, you know, stop getting Bond wrong yeah. and the whole um, Bank Holiday viewing viewing of Bond, which then gets ruined with the um, the uh, what's it called the um, Sunny D, oh, the Sunny, Sunny Delight, Sunny yeah. Sunny D spilling into that that scene. Right, I remember when that went out. I was like, felt like I could I could identify with that so much because I was the kind of nerdy guy. I remember at university telling everyone to sit down and watch a film that I insisted everyone needed to watch. <laughs> right, I think it was Manhattan, Woody Allen's Manhattan. We can't talk about Woody Allen now, but I'm maintaining. And I was like, everyone's got to watch this. is the greatest film ever. And I literally gathered these friends around to watch it on a crappy old TV, you know, in the common room on a video cassette. And I was so like, you know, proud of this and excited that everyone to, and, you know, and I love James Bond as well, by the way. So just that whole sequence of how excited Alan was to sit his friends down to watch James Bond on the bank holiday and getting annoyed when people were getting Bond wrong and doing the whole intro to The Spy Who Loved Me and then it fucking up with the... Tra and I was so... I remember being so tragically affected by the Sunny D moment. I thought it was absolutely horrendous and I felt so sorry for him. I think that was the moment when I felt more sorry for Alan up to that point than I ever had. And still to this day, I feel tragically sorry for him that he didn't get to watch, watch um, The Spy Who Loved Me with his friends. So that... <laughs> On multiple levels, I identified with that. Um, the, and, the, and these days, it's more, you know, him getting annoyed by Noel Edmonds is hysterical because <laughs> I, th I think Noel Edmonds is an absolute bellend of the highest order. And I've <laughs> met him, I've interviewed him, I've watched him, you know. Um, I, I, you know, I, I think he's a proper, uh, proper... Sorry. Uh, as a child contestant on Noel's house party, oh I, can, I can also back this up. Yeah, I mean, that's brilliant. What a life you've, what a life that is. Um, I mean, yeah, you know, to the point where I remember, do you remember we did that show? Um, I think this is why Steve got, got Alan to start talking about them, actually. I haven't asked him this directly, but my feed's strong finish. Remember the show he did for Sky when he exposed real life jobsworths and they tend, you know, and like, you know, health and safety. Remember there was a whole, people used to get really angry about health and safety in, in the, this is like pre-woke era. You know, this is like pre-Piers Morgan coming out as a complete fucking idiot and, but the, uh, and Noel, Noel fucking Edmonds did a whole series on Sky in which he exposed just normal working people doing their jobs, basically. And he would humiliate them and call them out on this show. And it was terrible and it was obscene. It was awful. And, um, I, and I remember that being like a turning point of like, you know, obviously Noel Edmonds used to be in, in when, you, when you were, you were, um, you were on Noel's house party. Noel's house party was <laughs> diabolical, but it wasn't like evil, you know. But by the time he, 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 in the second phase or whatever of Noel Edmonds' career, in the deal or no deal era, he just become this horrendous egomaniac. And that series was uh, was awful. And I'm sure Steve 
Steve found that horrendous. It's uh, it, it's interesting that he's in this Gibbons era. Um, Edmonds and Eamon Holmes seem to be the yeah. targets, yeah. and 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 where where you would think maybe the obvious ones would be Maidley and would be mm. Piers Morgan, mm. um, but maybe maybe Maidley is too close to the bone, yeah. and maybe Piers uh, Piers Morgan feels like it could is it, a home run, but I, I mean obviously you've kind of gone into details as to maybe why he's gone for for Edmonds, but I. I, I is there is there the same general feeling about Eamon Holmes within the no, media industry? No, I think Eamon, I think his I think his stuff about Eamon is is less feels less scathing to me than he, he's like, I just sandwiches. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. That's that's that kind of stuff. I think Eamon Holmes is a comedic figure, by the way, and I have I am a very much an avid, as you can tell, as I've already made clear, avid consumer of daytime TV, and. Yeah. Um, I have been watching Eamon Holmes sitting in on this morning with his wife and their interactions are astonishing. I mean, you know, constantly painful taking, trying to undermine his wife and her. That's a whole, you know, the interaction there um, of the old guy, you know, and the, and the younger woman and all of that. I mean, she's not that much younger. But and by the way, what I, I can't believe we haven't mentioned Susanna Fielding as Jenny Gresham, just to say how absolutely perfect she is in that role again as an absolute perfect forward to Alan. But an incredible answer, performance. Incredible, yeah. incredible. Um, but in answer to your question, I think he's, he's, he takes the piss out of Eamon Holmes because there's a lot to take the piss out of. I like, mm. I, I do, I've, met, I've, I've met Eamon a lot and I do like him. He's more, whereas I think he reserves much more scathing criticism for Noel, I think, I feel. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I don't know if you feel that way. I just feel like, I feel like Coogan, I feel like Partridge hates Noel and just kind of doesn't <laughs> really like Eamon and thinks Eamon's a bit pathetic. But I think he seems to reserve his particular ire for Noel Edmonds, yeah, it, it, in, in the in the writing, it's a friendly knockabout with Edmonds, yeah. but it's but it's a shanking of Edmonds, isn't exactly. it? <laughs> exactly, exactly, yeah. yeah, quite and quite rightly because Noel needs to be shanked. <laughs> just to, just to your point about Susanna Fielding, I I hope this isn't the last that we see of her in the APU. Oh. I hope I yeah. hope you know she comes with Alan in the same way that Lynn and Psychic Simon have, and. Um, yeah, I, I hope it. I hope it's not the end of, of of Susanna. If there is a third series of obviously mm. Alan uh, of this time, she'll be in it. But if there isn't, I hope it's not the end of. Yeah, Susanna, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, Susanna's she's. Role. It's you cannot um, overestimate how brilliant she is, and, and, I think, and what a difficult know, role to go into. Oh, to have so to, difficult. I think she. Should, I, I think she should be co-hosting. You know, Good Morning Britain and This Morning and the One Show for Real because she's so brilliant at it yeah. that she could be with all of those idiotic blokes, you know, and be brilliant. She'd have, to, uh, you know, she's the, her facial expressions and her reactions to things, everything that Alan says, are so brilliant. That's why, again, I keep talking about how how rewatchable it is. Why well, I think, yeah, why well, I think this absolutely. time is so much more rewatchable. I feel even than I'm Alan Partridge or whatever. It's because partly because their reaction shots and their expressions. You're watching them. As live, you know, and, and they're so perfect and so subtle sometimes. Steve talked about when he's, you know, about how she gets, she's, her, the look in her eyes sometimes is, I'm trying to deal with what Alan's saying to me and not show it to the viewer, but I'm also trying to show it to the viewers of this yes. time yes. who know that I'm fictional, whilst mm. not showing it to the viewers of this time, the fictional show who'll be watching as they would be watching the one show. And you know, it's like that level of subtlety is inc- incredible. Yeah. And yeah, to make that heavy lifting look so light is a real, real skill. Um, I mean, I think that brings us on nicely to the next question, which is Alan has, has mastered the world of film, podcasting, books and audiobooks, TV, chat show, sitcom of, of sorts. What would you like to see Alan tackle next? Obviously, we know Stratagem, the live show, is coming up in real life, but is there an area you, you haven't seen him cover you'd like to see him in? Is there something he's done before that you want to see more of? 
Well, I think he, what he's talked about as being a thing that I think they will end up doing. And I think it's, it may even be, I don't know, it may even be further ahead than we know, is the idea of him doing a kind of a mix of a travelogue and a kind of um, like almost philosophy, you know, almost arts show where, where he combines like, um, yeah, it's like a kind of BBC Two style Thought, think show, think a kind of thoughtful travelogue type show. I feel like that. He was talked a little bit when, I, when I, they all talked a little bit about this idea that, you know, yeah. Coogan, that, that Partridge thinks he's, you know, a thinker, a great thinker now, <laughs> you know. Um, and so, you know, so as opposed to Scissor Dial, like obviously that was a bit travelogue Scissor Dial, but that was very much, you know, him sitting there, him in the Tesco sequence, you know, becoming a Tesco checkout woman, mm. you know, amazing, by the way. But I think like, I think, being something slightly more intellectual, you know, from Alan, I feel my, it would be really interesting to see him, you know, really to really explore that, what I was saying earlier about him being cleverer and smarter now than he used to be, you know, the way his knowledge of like grammar, and that often comes up as a thing, doesn't it, these days, that he'll, he will undermine, he'll, talk, he'll tell Jenny about her grammar, when her grammar's wrong and all of that, when she tries to tell him about his pronunciation, blah, 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 blah. He often makes references to stuff to various, like quite intricate knowledge of, of grammar and general knowledge and certain, you know, I don't know this, that, and the other. Um, so I, yeah, I think giving him a vehicle where he's exploiting that, exploring that element of him um, would be fascinating. And I think that is vaguely what they have in mind. I think is the thing to do, whether that ever happens or not, I don't know. So it's still TV. It's not a huge leap, but it's more like, who, who, what's the name of the guy? I can't remember. I forgot his name. He does, you know, the five hour philosophical explorations of life, the universe and everything. Do you know what I mean? On, Brian on the, Cox. No, on BBC, they're not even on TV. They're BBC iPlayer. He did, he did like a five-part series this year, which is just an iPlayer. I can't remember. I've forgotten his name. Anyway, he's like a big intellectual heavyweight right. and um, dealing with ideas, huge big ideas, um, uh, that kind of thing for, Steve, for, for Alan, I think. It would be, would be fascinating. Um, I think it'd be quite interesting to sort of get your, your, your opinion on sort of... Um uh, other comedy and, and the sort of newcomers uh, uh, to the British comedy scene. Where where do you see Partridge's influence on sort of newer sitcoms or, or stand-ups or just general sort of character um, comedy? Uh, do you notice the influence of Partridge in any of those or in any other unexpected places? Obviously, you've got things like Good Morning Britain, maybe, but um, yeah. anywhere else at all? Um, that's interesting. I haven't thought about that. Um, I mean, I think he has been massively influential. Mm. Um uh, hundred percent. I think, I think the two most influential, you know, comedies of British TV of the of, of the last thirty years are The Office and and Alan Partridge. Generally, I think you know, you see you see The Office influence in terms of you know so many faux documentary things in this country and people just do nothing and I'm probably forgetting another one. Um, uh, but I think in terms of um, spoofing or making fun of TV. And TV formats and radio formats and local radio, that kind of that kind of element of it, um, you see equivalent. You see again in, in things like people just do nothing, and in, 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 that kind of um, performing a character who could just is just a kind of one level off being real mm. um, to make it comedically work. I think I see a lot of that just in terms of performance style um on tv comedy i'm trying to think of more examples um i think he's so unique i think alan partridge is so unique uh, you know and stands out so much that i that um well, i think you you have you have people saying oh that was very partridge or yeah this was, you know, so or, or that was very brent for example so it's it's very difficult to 
I, but I those are real life things, aren't they? More like I think yeah. they're. I yeah, think true. people. Yeah. I think people are saying that's very partridge when you see Richard Madeley and Eamon Holmes and mm. whoever behaving like him. I think it's less. I think you see the David Brent, the, the Ricky Gervais, David Brent acting style is very, very influential. You see that a lot. Um, but I think Alan Partridge is such a unique figure that it's possibly less. You would. It would be more. It would be weirder to see. You know. Of, of, obvious versions of Alan in a way, mm. or obvious kind of influences of Alan, characters that influence Alan. So I think it is rarer. Having said that, as soon as I as soon as we stop this podcast, I'll probably kinda of think of about eight <laughs> things. We're that... talking about that we're talking about that sort of um that that, that influence that the the office and, and, and Partridge have. They're obviously sort of I mean, the second series of, of, of I'm Alan Partridge and the first uh, and, and the office were sort of peaking around the same time. How do you see the relationship between those two shows? Do you think, you know, Obviously, you know, Brent as a character has endured, but not in the same way that Alan has in terms of new projects. And uh, uh, how do you see the relationship between the, the, those two shows? Do you, well, think, think, do you think that The Office was hugely influenced by Partridge or do you think that they, they had their own lane? Well, I tell you what, I tell, I tell you, I, I do know this. That I mean, I interviewed um, Ricky Gervais uh, for the 20th anniversary of The Office uh, mm. recently, which was a month ago, or as we're recording this a month ago. Um, and um, he did say, and Ricky very, very rarely talks about kind of vaguely current British comedy. He, you know, Ricky Gervais will will wax lyrical about foreign foreign Scandinavian dramas that are on. You know, Walter uh, presents. <laughs> you know, he's obsessed with those things. But he fun. He's quite rare in my experience, anyway. It's quite rare that he talks about um, peer comedy peers. But he did say very much that when he was creating The Office and when he was coming up with David Brent, he was very much thinking, well, you know, Alan Partridge has become a phenomenon on BBC Two and people love that character and he's brilliant. And look what they did with that. Maybe I can do that with David Brent on BBC mm. Two with The Office. So it's no, it's no accident that they went to BBC Two with the idea of The Office, with, you know, like an actual videotape kind of almost um, pilot they did famously of, his, of that character and they, go, and they went to BBC Two and that, he felt like that was his natural home, partly because, I think, of the success of Alan Partridge on BBC Two. And he, is very, he was very um, complimentary about that character and about those shows. And he is, was a fan, you know. So as a young guy growing up, you know, he was inspired by the idea that you could be, you know, a young working-class guy, Steve Coogan was as well, you know, coming up with a legendary comedy character and a legendary sitcom on, on BBC Two. And he was like, wow, I, maybe I could do that as a thing. So that, was, that definitely is a, is a connection, yeah. I think it's interesting you mentioned about sort of like the relationship, with, uh, the, or sorry, not the relationship, but the kind of uh, influence that, that Ricky and, and, and Steve have on British comedy. And I think one thing that perhaps Steve doesn't get a huge amount of credit for um, and I, I don't know. I don't. I can't think of too many ref, um, examples of when Ricky's done this. And this isn't a criticism, but I think it's something that Steve should be applauded for: is that he brings new comedy up with him. He, he, you know, yeah. he, obviously he has a vested interest because of Baby Cow, etc. But he goes out and finds new talent, or his production company go out and find new talent, and they bring them into the show. So you have people like Psychic Simon coming, uh, Tim Key, sorry, <laughs> coming mm. in, and then you have people like uh, Jamie and Natasha Dimitri appearing mm. in this time and stuff like that. So. I think you know Steve is obviously just a huge comedy fan still I think yeah do you, do you think that's fair oh a hundred percent and yeah. um I think the casting of those guest characters is so great as you say a lot of them are I mean Jamie Dimitri's um uh little bit with the way where he, where he, where he 
is that cook, the celebrity cook, is such yeah. a little, it's a tiny little moment, but he's perfect in that. And Natasha Dimitri, of course, as well, is brilliant. But I think she was sadly a bit underused in this time series too, I think, Tasha Dimitri. I think she was she, she, she was excellent. And, then you had, and obviously yeah. her comedy writing partner, Ellie White, was in the first series as well. So, you know. Yeah. It, but even down to, in you know, in the episode with the, um, the posh band playing... Um, Cayman. Yeah. You know the guy, the mate, the singer. He's he's in. The, no, I'm gonna have to read. It's the it's the it's the pin. Uh, the to, pin. To, to, Thank to, you. Uh, Co-host of the podcast, Tom Darks, one of to, his favorite uh, new yeah. coming comedy duos. Right, the pin. Yeah. So in that in that um, episode with the posh band, the fact that um, the member of the pin was playing that the posh boy in the red trousers singing that terrible, terrible song. <laughs> and then the naked topless women come on. Um, and I sat next to, so I sat next to the pin at the South Bank Awards a couple of months ago. And, um, and, he, was ta- and he was talking about the experience, what the experience was like of, of playing that role of the, of the guy in the, po- the posh boy in the band. And it, <laughs> can you imagine what a dream it was? So they are a young, they're brilliant, the pin. Um, and what a dream it was for, you know, for him, one of them to go, to be, to get this role, this small but crucial role magical role in and of course he did worship alan partridge and steve coogan and was incredibly thrilled and excited um to get that role um well steve uh, if you're listening and you want to bring up some young hip young gunslinging <laughs> podcasters then uh, <laughs> right right sure you know where to find us um to broaden things out a little bit uh, it wouldn't be a podcast in 2021 without a unprecedented times question um so i was curious uh, just a little bit about how the, how the way you tackle um coverage of tv shows at empires evolved especially during the period where there wasn't a cinema industry to speak of yeah well um they did i mean credit to terry white really terry white the outgoing editor-in-chief um who uh, by the time this goes out will have gone i think because her last um she goes up to she's leaving in september the beginning of september but terry has um she brilliantly um first of all she's brought a lot huge amount more of tv coverage to empire but why she partly why she brought me in as contributing editor was um i mean we did podcasts together um, the, the the pilot tv podcast but um she wants you know she she was absolutely fully aware of how tv is becoming more and more you know, it's running alongside film and the, you know, it's a cliche to say, but it's true that the, that divide between film and and TV is almost non-existent now in all kinds of ways. But, um, so she absolutely was very, very, very keen on bringing TV into it more and more and more. And, um, and it really, I think, I think this period, I think this, I think the, 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 the COVID era, you know, the last 18, 19, 20 months or whatever, has shown the importance of all this stuff, hasn't it? It's shown the importance of TV and film. I mean, the fact that they they made the whole of series two of this time under COVID conditions. I'm pretty pretty, I, I believe. And I think the and the reason why I think that it was aired quite quickly. Um, you know, it took it was aired much faster than when they made series one. Yeah, there was a long yeah. gap. Do you remember? And I think that's partly because there's an absolute thirst. Why not just fucking put it out? You know. And now, generally, t- I love the fact this is absolutely true. Generally, now of TV, that when stuff gets made, because there was a bit of there was a time where they were running out of content. Use that horrible word. The, <laughs> the mainstream TV channels because you could not film, literally. Um, now there, it's a much faster turnaround journey for all kinds of shows, dramas, comedies. And I think that's great because I always just get frustrated that you know 
you'd, I'd, I'd go on sort of read about, get a press release for a show, and it would be 16 months later it would arrive finally yeah. on TV. You're sitting on mountains of yeah. news. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't believe how long it took this time to arrive. It was ridiculous. Um, just as it was a classic example of uh, taking way, way too long. Um, and so, yeah, I think that has that's been great. I think everyone's aware of how important, what a great thing, particularly comedy is you know that we need we need it more than ever in our lives because of the because of these isolating world we're living in so if that's what you're driving at then yes i think i think um that is definitely uh, a key factor yeah absolutely um i mean and in terms of comedy in general um and sort of looking at not just since Partridge's influence, but but more generally, um in terms of new comedy what have you been enjoying lately stand-up sitcoms or other um I love uh, right now. Well, as we speak, as we're recording this, uh, um, uh, this way up, which is Ashling B's. Um, yeah, the second series is just second series going out at the moment, isn't it? Fantastic, and with Sharon Horgan um, in it and exec producing it, I think Ashling B is fantastic, um, and that's very much a you know. There, I think there are two. If I can be like you know pretentious about it, there's like two waves. I feel like of comedy at the moment, TV comedy particularly. There's like the this way up flea bag. And by the way, I'm not comparing them because they're women-led. I'm just, in the tone of them, you know, there's a whole load of um, quite dramatic, often quasi-tragic shows. Back to life, you know, back to yeah. life. Feel um, good, yeah. I'd put in that category Feel as well. good, exactly, thank you, exactly. Very so that real, whole, very Very assertive. real, yeah. very, moments of harsh realism, yeah. yeah. Bordering on tragedy, I'm doing. Funny enough, I'm hosting a Back to Life Q and A with the with the creators of that show later. Oh, amazing! Um, tomorrow, rather, I'm doing that tomorrow. That that new series is on its way. Um, the one with Martin Freeman, with the you know the parent. What's that one? Um, Breeders. Breeders. Breeders is fucking harsh, right? I mean, I don't know if you watched that, but I series one. No. So, well, series one was harsh. Series two is really quite painful at various moments. So there's that. There's that wing of comedy, which is which I love. And it's great. And there's also, I think, a wave at the moment of really silly, of shamelessly um, giddy, silly, stupid, slapsticky, often comedy. And I'm thinking of Intelligence um, with Nick Muhammad and David Schwimmer, mm -hmm. which I think is really funny. There's the Code something or other on Sky. Which code is it? With Stephen Graham. Code 404, right? Code 404 is on Sky. Um, Stephen Graham and Daniel Mays, right? Who are so oh, they're like wow. playing on their their histories of, of, of very, very um, realistic cop shows. Line, like of, line, Duty. Of, line yeah. of Duty. And they, so it's a spoof cop show. And it's really silly. Um, it's quite airplane-y. You know, there's a lot of, air, I see a lot of airplane-y yeah. type shows. I think airplane influenced a lot of shows that go on now. And I love, I, I really love Slapstick if it's done well. Um, I'm trying to think of another example recently. Oh, um, I even, you know, like King Gary. King Gary, you know, is a real, is a real, you know, some would call it broad, but it's a very mainstream sitcom ghosts another one so yeah i think they're all they all embrace silliness and slapstick sometimes and just anything they'll throw anything in trying to be funny ted lasso ted lasso is you know ted lasso is a real heartfelt show but absolutely has completely preposterous moments within it as well can somehow make those work so yeah i feel there's a you know there's silly comedy and if i was doing a think piece about it if i was writing a four thousand words of the guardian i'd, I'd <laughs> contrast the silly shows, which will, go, which will do anything for a laugh, and the more dramatic, weighty, if you like, shows. And I think there's room for both, you know. Um, 
and, and they're both flourishing a lot. Yeah. I completely missed Code Four Hundred Four. I'll definitely check that out. There's there's some um, there's some uh, APU crossover there because we've got Rosie Witter in there. Sorry, Rosie right. Cavaliero and yeah. uh, and Anna Maxwell Martin, who was in yeah. uh, who was in Alpha Papa. So there's uh, right. some some quite uh, heavyweight uh, actors in there. Yeah, I'll definitely get ready. I warn you now, it's really stupid. So great, love that. Uh, yeah. Me and Adam both really enjoy Auntie Donna's. Uh, uh, House of Fun, well, Auntie, House of Fun, or Auntie Donna in general, which is incredibly silly. So um, yeah, that's that, that's yeah. not a problem. Oh, you know that the you know the show I love that I think is really underrated as well. Just uh, all the all the examples are coming to my mind now. Is um, mm-hmm. the Goes Wrong show? I don't know if you know. So you know the Goes Wrong show started as a theatre phenomenon. Mm. I've, been, I've seen I've seen the theatre yeah. production. So the play that goes wrong, and they did a TV yeah. series, BBC One, that was fucking brilliant. And it and it was a very clever, and it used every visual gag they could think of brilliantly conceived there was one episode where every set had been designed as a tiny miniature by mistake and they had to work <laughs> around that so the constant visual gag was these humans dealing with tiny tiny furniture i think i saw the christmas special for that yeah there was a christmas special yeah, yeah where the, the guy was playing the piano and then he burnt the set down it's mo- <laughs> it's real and it's a mixture of terrible puns absolutely terrible puns kind of making fun of um you know like local amdram groups and incredibly sophisticated ambitious visual gags that work that they work they hone to perfection so the goes wrong show which i know again series two will be, is, is being made or will be made but i think that's a massively underrated um show fantastic um well thanks so much for that thanks for your time what better way to leave this episode than with a host of comedies to try to fill the gap between partridge projects um but uh, thanks so much to our guest this week uh, mr boyd hilton thank you thank you I am hopping mad and I want something in the middle. Aha! Yup, absolutely. Yup, 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 absolutely. Monkey tennis? Bring, bring. There's a new chat in town. I had the last laugh. Damn! Monkey tennis? Little pierce my foot on the spine. With a chuckle, with a chuckle. Monkey tennis? Radical. Awesome. Mega. Monkey tennis? Where's my assistant? I do not know. Okay. Monkey tennis? Edmonds is a total wasp of a guy. Yes, 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 and yes. It's hotter than the sun. They said, who the hell is that? This is great banter. Yeah. Back of the net. Monkey tennis? The people who enjoy Alan Partridge will enjoy this podcast. The people who've never got it still won't get it.